Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. So turn in your Bibles then to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've been in a series called Telling the Story. Uh, our goal, our, our heart has been uh, to say that the gospel and is not primarily a set of beliefs that we check off in our heart and mind, but rather the gospel is a story uh, of God's interaction with humanity, of God's revealing of himself. And ultimately this story then invites us in and draws us in to align our lives according to this story that is being told and the truths that it reveals, both about the world, about who God is, and about who we are. And so I'm trying to, to break us out of this, this mindset that faith is, is equal to just uh, to checking off a particular doctrines, but rather faith is entering into life with Christ and life with God. And so we've been telling the story and looking at different parts of, of uh, the story as it's told in the book of Acts. And, and today we, we turn our attention to a, a very famous passage in Acts, Acts chapter 2, talking about the fellowship of the believers. And so I want to read that uh, for us today. It should be up on the screen to follow along as well. Or you can just hear the word of God today. Uh, But here's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, this passage has informed uh, the, ch- the church for generations on key markers of their life together. Uh, the overall message is that the early believers uh, functioned a lot like a family does. In fact, all of our uh, talking about the church as a community or as a family is really born out of the, uh, looking at the common shared life of believers and how it really functioned a lot like the, the nucleus of a family. It says their possessions weren't, in other words, their possessions weren't mine, but their possessions were ours. And this, this is a must in family life. <laughs> uh, trust me, we have, we have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and trying to, this, this idea of mine, this is mine, simply does not work. We, we have to build into the, the whole nucleus of the family. No, everything is, is ours. It's a must for family, or you'll end up fighting over everything. We also see evidence in this passage of Scripture that their time was carefully negotiated among all the members of the family. And, and of course, this is essential for, for modern family life. You have to negotiate time among all the members of the family and all the different activities. And here are, are, are the parents' responsibilities, and here are the kids' responsibilities and activities, and we got to get them here and there, and, and can you do that, and can I pick up and drop off, and all of those kinds of things, those working out of time has to be negotiated by all of the members together. And we find that that was true for the earliest of believers. 
They also shared life together, and it wasn't just a, another thing on their list of, of clubs or responsibilities, but it was truly sharing life together. Uh, sharing life at, a, at, at that kind of level implies a level of vulnerability and an exposure of faults. Uh, just the other day, our, our kids were having a conversation of, uh, hey, when I grow up, uh, I really want to be a mom. Here are the ways that I want to be like my mom, and here are the ways that I don't want to be like my mom. <laughs> and we were a little bit nervous to have that conversation, you know? And it's like, wow, when you have kids, it's like looking into a mirror. You begin to see your own faults. And of course, you see the faults of your kids, too. And so being in this level of shared life together requires this certain level of vulnerability, but also the exposure of faults together. And as a family, when something goes wrong, you work it out together because you are stuck with one another. <laughs> and the truth is, uh, as we look at the scriptures and the, and the practices of the early believers, this really worked well for the first uh, few hundred people or so that were dedicated to following the way of Jesus. But but have you ever asked the question, what about the practicality of this now, right? Like this doesn't seem very practical in today's modern world. How do you live with that level of shared life when there are uh, several thousand Christians or several million Christians that are spread all over the world? Or even, even on a more practical level, how do you do that in a community of people that, let's say, I don't know, around or just under 100 people spread all over northern Colorado. How do you begin to practice that level of shared life together? Well, I believe that verse, uh, the answer is, is that you do it with great difficulty, but never giving up that this is what God intends. And so you continually press toward living into the dream and reality that God has for his church. And so the answer is, there is no easy answer. <laughs> the answer is, we have, to, we have to look at God's intention for the church and for the fellowship of believers, and then, with faithfulness, continually press into that reality, knowing that, that it may not always happen perfectly, it may not always be lived out just wonderfully or perfectly, but rather we just continually and faithfully press toward the reality of this level of shared life. So that it could be said of the church, this is, in fact, a family. And I believe that uh, verse 42 provides us four marks uh, for helping guide, uh, guide the way for us. And how are we to do this? And, and what kinds of things will foster this level of shared life? And I want to spend just a few moments this morning talking about those things. And so I want to read verse 42 again as our key verse this morning. Verse 42 in Acts chapter 2 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four markers of the community, I believe, at least give us a compass for how to, with difficulty, press into God's intention for the church. And so let's look at each one of those uh, individually. First, looking at teaching. Uh, these early believers are said to have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, now, you have heard me say uh, that our life, our, our, our confidence, our security cannot be found in proper belief. But that doesn't mean that our thinking about who God is isn't important. Because it is. And so teaching 
And good theology is critically important. And so as a community, I desire for us to be devoted to the teachings of Christ, to understand it, so that we might embody his teaching in the world and in our community. I feel like what the, what the world needs more than ever are churches devoted to the teachings of Christ, to the word of God, and the, to really digest it, to understand it, to apply it to our lives, but not just that. I think that over the course of many years, the church has been faithful to do that. But now what we need is we need to take the step one step further and begin to not just apply it to our own lives, but begin to embody it out in the community and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. The, 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 the teachings and the ways of Jesus, do you believe this, are powerful enough to change the world. And so what we need to do, church, and I'm talking to this church, and I'm talking to the capital C church, is we need to devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus, to open up his word, to understand them faithfully, for the purpose then of embodying those teachings out in the world and in our own communities. And in fact, what we do here at Emmaus Road is we structure our worship services so that the word and the table are in the middle. Now, functionally, as time plays out, because the word takes a little while, uh, it kind of seems like it's more toward the end. But if you look at a list of our order of service, the word and the table are central. Now, they're central because that's a way for us to embody that the, the teachings of Christ and gathering around his table are central, not only to our gathering, but to our life together as a community. And so we structure our services very intentionally. And then each week we give our focused attention, and I want you to hear this. Each week we give our focused attention on the proclamation of the word made text so that we can more fully understand and worship the word made flesh. We give our attention, we give our devotion to the word made text so that we can more fully understand and worship the word made flesh. That is to say that we give our attention to the words of God, that we might worship and adore the word of God, who is Christ Jesus himself. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and we endeavor to do the same. And then it says they devoted themselves uh, and to fellowship. Uh, So second defining mark of these early believers, and I believe for us today to provide us moving in the right direction, is this a devotion to fellowship. Now, fellowship is an outdated word. <laughs> we don't say de- fellowship anymore. We say community. But the concept is the same. The language has changed. The concept has not. And the idea is that for a church community, for a local body, they are to be devoted to the shared life of the community. I want to take this opportunity to remind our entire congregation two things that I mention in all of our covenant partner classes, which is our our membership classes. Uh, And the first is this. The the church cannot force you into community. It can only provide opportunities for community. Uh, Which is to say that at least to some degree, your sense of community and shared life with others is up to you. At some point... You'll have to put yourself out there. You'll have to show up for something that you aren't comfortable showing up to. You'll have to be inconvenienced in some way 
if you're going to share life with other people. Because isn't that what community is all about? Community and shared life together on any significant level carries with it the incredible opportunity of cost and the incredible opportunity of infinite benefit. And and if you've ever been married, you know this is true. If you've ever been in a significant friendship, you know this is true. If you've ever had a roommate, you know this is true. This, This idea of shared life together comes with all sorts of of benefits and rewards and the beauty of the kingdom of Christ being lived out among these people, but it also carries with it an incredible cost. And if we try to continually just protect ourselves and guard ourselves from the costs or the inconvenience or the the, uh, fear of showing up to something that I'm not comfortable showing up to, then, then the other side of that is we may never fully walk into the blessings of shared life together. And so I just want to maybe say out loud and, and admit that the responsibility of the, church is, of the church is, number one, to provide a welcoming culture. To make sure that whatever stage of life you're in, whatever your economic status is, uh, whatever your hobbies or skin color or whatever, however you walk through these doors, we want to welcome you. And that's a responsibility that we have. And if we don't do that, then we need to look in the mirror and begin to say, what can we do to make sure that everyone is welcome in this place? And then the second opportunity or the second responsibility that the church has is is to first create a welcoming culture, but then to provide opportunities. Uh, To make sure that in, in programming or just the organic life of the church, that there are opportunities to connect with other people in community. Have you ever been here and wondered, why in the world is the greeting time three minutes. That seems like an eternity, especially for your first time here. (laughs) First time guests, thank you for enduring the three minutes. But the reason is because is we wanted to create significant and intentional time in our gathered, in our, in our time of gathering to connect with people. Now, the the main rhythm of connecting and sharing life together is life groups. And so if you're not involved in a life group, I encourage you to do that. Find one that works best for your schedule. Understanding that not there's probably not one, since we're a small church and we only have three, we understand there's probably not one that's ideal. But find one that works best or can be workable and just start getting involved in the shared life of that community. That's the best way to do that. But we also have men's nights and ladies' nights and, and Pentecost picnics and these kind of events that, that, can I just be honest with you? We know that heaven is not going to come down and angels are not going to sing when you meet someone at greeting time or at men's night or ladies' night or the picnic. We, we recognize sort of the limited potential of those things, but we also believe strongly in the opportunity that those events have to plant seeds of relationship that can grow. That can grow over time. That maybe you make a connection with someone and then you, then you take the initiative to say, hey, let's get together. Let's go do this over a cup of coffee or uh, an activity, a hobby, a movie, whatever it is. And so we, we provide sort of the, the rhythmic life of life groups and then these one-off events believing that in some way God can move and work in these opportunities. 
And so again, we don't presume that magic will fall from heaven at any one of these events, but we do believe in the power of these events to initiate and build friendships that are meaningful. The second thing I remind our, our covenant partners and want to remind you today is, is this. You know, we lead really busy lives. Uh, busyness is held up as a trophy in American culture. Hey, how have you been? Man, I've been busy. And what we mean by that is I'm important and I got a lot of stuff going on, right? <laughs> and whether that's conscious or subconscious, I think that's a reality of our culture. Busyness is a trophy that we like to show off. And so we're all busy. And we have our lives, our work, our families, our schools, sports, clubs, hobbies, civic responsibilities, all of that. And, and, and whatever, if you want to see those as plates that you have to keep spinning or balls that you have to keep juggling, uh, however you want to see those, whatever imagery works best for you, the reality is that's where a lot of us are. We're juggling, we're spinning, we're doing all of those things. And then you add church to the mix. And church just becomes another thing that I'm juggling, a, a, another responsibility that I have to have. And man, if, then if I serve, oh, then that's another thing. That's another commitment. That's more time. It's all of these things. And what this means is that if church just becomes another one of the things that I'm juggling in my very busy life, the reality is this. Too often when the time comes, when time con- constrains in our life and time becomes tight or we feel overwhelmed, what we tend to do is we drop the church because, well, Sunday mornings are really the only negotiable time in our calendar anymore. And what if we, though, changed our way of thinking from church just as one of these responsibilities that we have to carry to church being the spoke on a wheel. And so the church then becomes central to who I am and my expression of, of faith is lived out inside of a body of believers. Right? We often say that, that you can't live out your life in isolation. And church uh, as a as a ball that you're juggling can be pretty isolating. But church as the central way of practicing my faith changes the way that we begin to think about the community. And so what if, what if the church was the spoke in the middle of the wheel and then all of the, 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 the spokes coming out then are all of these different responsibilities, work and, and school and play and recreation and all of these kinds of things. But central to all of these is my shared life with the community of believers. And now our shared life in the community of believers is central to all my other responsibilities, our spokes coming out of that, so that my community, my life inside of the community then informs all these other areas of my, the ways of life. And I, let me give you a negative example of what we don't want. Many years ago, I was part of a life group in this church. And we were doing our best to share life together. We were doing our best, right, to, to kind of push toward what God's intention for the church. And one of the members of the life group who had been there for a long, long time said, well, we're moving out of town because I've accepted another job. And it was the first that any of us had heard anything about that. And it broke my heart because it realized this really, really important thing that was going on in the life of this person. None of us had any idea. We weren't really just sharing, we weren't really sharing life. We were just kind of showing up at the same place at the same time. And so I want to, I want to like admit out loud today that it isn't easy. 
but I want to encourage us to push toward a shared life together. Where if you are making a decision about whether to move out of the city and, and accept another job, that that would be part of the conversation or prayer requests with your life group or with your friends or with someone here at the, at the church that was in the body of Christ. And I think this picture of, of the spoke on a wheel at least moves us toward what it means to be in devoted fellowship or community together. Church needs to be a high priority in our lives. The third thing that was central to this, this gathering of believers was the breaking of bread. Now, for the early believers, this was a meal. Uh, it was a full-on meal. Whenever they say break bread together, what they mean is lunch, <laughs> dinner. Uh, for us, though, it's become the sacrament of communion. Uh, or, of course, the occasional potluck. Uh, that on June 4th at our Pentecost picnic, we'll be breaking bread together, gathering around tables together. And we do this because food is really important. <laughs> and food isn't just important to the, the continuing function of your body. Uh, but food represents a whole bunch of stuff in our lives. Uh, you see, the people that you share a table with says a lot about who you are. And the fact that early believers broke bread together or shared a table together meant that even though society had all kinds of reasons to divide them, sharing a meal together at the same table brought unity. Now this was particularly true for the early believers because they were just beginning to understand that the gospel was for, Gen was for Gentiles as well as Jews. Right? And they were just beginning to grasp a hold of that. And so sharing a meal at a table, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor together, was a way of embodying this reality that in the gospel we are tremendously unified in Christ. And so here's what I want to say about this church. We believe that the Lord's table is the most unifying place on the planet. It is a place where race and income and language and political persuasion and opinions disappear as we take in the life of Christ together. Because the gospel erases lines and breaks down walls. In fact, consider the progression of the story of God as it's recorded in the scriptures. Under the old covenant, uh, your belonging to the family of God was based on ethnicity, circumcision, and Torah, which is a fancy word for law, law observance. And so you could not get into the family of God except for based on your ethnicity, circumcision, and Torah observance. That was the old covenant. This was a very closed system, right? Because not everyone can be of the same ethnicity. And not everyone can be circumcised. So sorry, ladies, you're out. <laughs> and uh, it, it, was just, it was a very closed system because you had these, mar these very clear markers, these black and white markers of who was in and who was out. But under the new covenant in Christ, and I want you to see this progression, under the new covenant in Christ, your belonging to the family of God is now based on faith, baptism, and obedience to the Messiah. And so you move from ethnicity, circumcision, and Torah observance to faith, baptism, and obedience to the Messiah. And what this did then is that under the new covenant, it opens up the good news for all people. 
That anyone can have faith, anyone can be baptized, and the table of the Lord is now open to all people. And so what we do in our regular practice of worship together is we gather around the table and we break bread together each week. And we do it to remember. Remember the death and passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do it to look forward to his work in the world and the renewal of all things. But we also do it to embody the unity that is found in Christ Jesus. That when we, so my prayer is that the table would be an embodiment of our unity together while also helping us to move forward in greater unity as a church body. Because, and I'll say it again, we believe the table of the Lord is the most unifying place on the planet. And then the fourth thing, and you guys have been very gracious to let me talk a whole bunch today. (laughs) The fourth thing is prayer. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, Now, when talking about the believer's devotion to prayer, it isn't just saying that they like to pray. When we read that, we think, oh, they like to pray, and then we lay on guilt on ourselves. We should pray more, (laughs) and we probably should pray more. But the Greek includes something that I think is really interesting. Uh, The Greek includes the definite article, the, and then the plural, prayers. And so a far better reading of this is they devoted themselves to the prayers. What this means is that the earliest believers, community of believers, were praying the prayers that they had received from their brothers and sisters in faith and had memorized. In other words, they were praying prayers that were written down, scripted, and that they had memorized, including the Lord's Prayer, among others. And so they were devoting themselves to the prayers. And they were doing that as well as their own prayers. And so I want you to capture this, this. Their prayer life was not what we consider often our prayer life, which is just talk to God. But rather they were devoting themselves to the prayers and then praying prayers of their own. And so trying to capture this truth, we include in our times of worship prayers from the Book of Common Prayer or lectionary. And these are written prayers that we have received from brothers and sisters of, of faith. And they help give us a language of prayer for engaging with God. And so our hope is, is not that you will just pray this prayer kind of on a, on a one-off, read the words off the screen, and they don't sink into your heart at all. But rather we pray this prayer as an implicit way of hopefully teaching you a way of engaging with God so that when you go to just talk to God, you'll have a language by which to draw from, right? What would happen if we told our children, just talk to us? You don't do that, (laughs) right? What you do with your children is you teach them a language. And then as they learn more and more of that language, then they begin to engage with you in more meaningful ways. It's the same way in our prayer life. Written prayers, memorized prayers, the Lord's Prayer as kind of the capstone help gives us a language for engaging with God in prayer so that it can enhance the moments when we're just talking to God. And so our, prayer, our hope is not that as we pray those prayers together, you just read the words off the screen and they never connect with your heart. Our hope is that you begin by reading them off the screen, but then that you take them home with you and pray it during the week, which is why on the back of your notes insert that is in your bulletin each week, if you go to the back, listed there is the prayer of the week. 
which is, a, is the prayer that we pray out loud in that worship service. Sometimes it's from the Book of Common Prayer. Sometimes it's from the lectionary. But we provide this for you so that you can be praying this prayer throughout the week as a way of engaging with God. And so if in your prayer life you have no idea where to start, and, so, and your prayers kind of feel like, okay, God, help me to have a good day. Amen. Right? If that's where you're at, that's perfectly okay. Let's learn a language of prayer by praying this. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Right? You need some language for how to praise God? That's a pretty good way to start. Point in, pour into our hearts such love towards you that we loving you in all things and above all things may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire, right? Like when you read, I admit that when we read this together off a screen, we lose some of the power, right? So I admit that, which is why we provide it so that you can really digest these prayers. Uh, And in just a moment, we're gonna pray that prayer together, of course. (laughs) But, and so we pray written prayers. And then we also, though, have created space in most of our services uh, for a prayer time called the prayer of the people or the prayers of the people. Now, in this time, we provide direction for how to pray and then invite you to pray for those things. And it's a beautiful time of us praying with and for one another as a whole community. And so it's, it's another unifying element of praying together. Uh, and, and it truly is the prayers of the people, right? Because we're giving you direction and inviting, inviting you to pray. And so let's, again, let's just, we're just being really honest this morning. So let's admit out loud that it can be a little bit uncomfortable time in our service. So we have a three-minute greeting time and a prayers of the people. These are not great church growth strategies. They are excellent ways to discipleship. And what I'm interested in is not consumers of Jesus. I'm interested in disciples of Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to coordinate everything in our service to build up disciples of Jesus Christ, not consumers of, of a product slapped with a Jesus sticker. Are you with me? I'm a little passionate about that. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to form disciples. So we have this prayers of the people, and it truly is the prayer of the people. So we invite you to engage in that time, even though it may be a little bit uncomfortable, because we're also using silence intentionally in the service to do that. But we encourage you to enter in and participate. Now, because of time, today we're not going to do prayers of the people, but most weeks we do, because I knew that today I would be long-winded. So the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These things provide for us a compass of how we might continue, continue with difficulty to push into God's intention for our life as a community. Amen?